I think the biggest thing is that if you're looking for change or if you're if you're not really happy with where you want to be, I mean, you kind of got to take the step. You know, uh, other people won't change things for you. Uh, you definitely have to be the person to make that decision that, you know, it's time. You know, I'm done with whatever the situation is, you know, whether it's a bad job or a bad living situation. I mean, just go and experience it. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. Here I am today with Ray Geist, the lumber daddy over at the Lumberjack Show. It is the Great Alaskan Lumber Show, right? Uh, the Great Alaskan Lumberjack Show. Lumberjack yeah. Show. Okay. Yep. And how long have you been there? Uh, eight years. Eight years. Yeah, I've been uh, eight years as an athlete, uh, four years as the performance team manager. So I'm in charge of the Lumberjacks and the announcers, which is a full-time job in itself. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> you, so because you're a performance show, right. you have a lot of personalities out there. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the way that I describe it to a lot of people that come into the show is that we're really kind of like a group of misfits just fit together real well. You know I mean? Uh, I'm originally from Maryland. We got guys from Wisconsin, Florida, Montana, New York. I mean, just all over the U.S. And, uh, you know, I went around and recruited and found a lot of these guys and, um, you know, brought them up here and their personalities. You know, everybody's, of course, is different where you've got all runs of life out on the stage. And, uh, you know, they really flow well together, though, which is nice about the Lumberjack show here. And so you're from Maryland. Correct. Yeah, the eastern shore of Maryland. How did you get to the point where you were doing this job? Oh, well, uh, I left Maryland and went to college in Maine, a really small environmental school called Unity College. Uh, I went there to learn how to grow fish. My major was uh, fisheries and aquaculture. Um, But when I first got there, they didn't have many sports. And so I needed something to do besides sit around my dorm and drink. (laughs) So (laughs) I went to club night and uh, was walking around the gym. And I saw these guys and gals playing with axes and chainsaws. And so I went up and started talking to them. And they told me about the timber team, you know, the woodsman's team, as they call it, at at Unity. And uh, told me when the practices were. So I went and uh, started finding out that I was a decent axe thrower. And then they started teaching me other skills as well, the chopping and the sawing. And, uh, you know, I really did it for, you know, to meet people, to have a good crew around me. But the athletic um, part of it, you know, I've always been very competitive. Got two younger brothers, you know, never want to lose at anything. So, I mean, that helped. You know, I was always competing, whether it was practice, trying to get on the, you know, the a team you know, or the the top team or competing against other schools and um so yeah i just competed all four years in college all through new england um, up in new brunswick and nova scotia as well and my senior year i was at the university of new hampshire and the lumberjack manager at the time here his name was zach brown uh he was there recruiting 
And he talked to my advisor, asked if there was any senior people that were graduating and wanted to be interested in maybe doing this as a career. And I mean, I had never even heard of lumberjack shows and I didn't know that there was something you could do. And uh, so she gave me his card and I started emailing him back and forth and I got recruited, got hired and I came up here uh, 2011 and I've been up here, like I said, eight seasons now and the manager for four. So the first question I have is <clears throat> you walk into that, the lumber sports club yeah, and there's guys that are older than you Oh yeah, that are, you know, showing you some probably fundamental stuff. It was exactly. Yeah. Are you still friends with any of those guys? Yeah. Yeah. I still talk with a lot of the guys. Um, you know, the, uh, one of them, Rich, he actually still competes. You know, he's, um, does security on as full time, but goes and actually competes in uh, different fairs and festivals. And a lot of the guys that don't do the lumberjack shows still do that. You know, one of the strongest choppers, you know, Arden Coger Jr. is out of West Virginia. He's a, a lawyer, uh, during the day and then, you know, does the timber sports as a, uh, a recreational thing and I mean, does really well at it. You know, so, I mean, unless you're doing lumberjack shows every day, a lot of the guys just have regular, you know, day-to-day -day yeah. jobs. I'm just imagining that conversation now of like, oh, I remember when you were a freshman and walked <laughs> in, you know, like dropped the axe. And now, to me now, like you are you know, the lumberjack show. Right. And, but those guys saw you before. Yeah. They saw the Ray before that. Exactly. And, uh, it would, I kind of wish we, I had videos of it back then <laughs> <laughs> just so I could honestly like look at it and be like, what was I doing? And, uh, it is, it all always nice when we get, you know, fresh blood up here and, you know, cause this is a training facility as well, you know, for the athletes and um, watching how they chop. And I can remember doing that same thing and having the older guys like, all right, this is the angle that you want, or this is what you want to do, where you want to hit, the pattern you want to follow, um, you know, with speed climbing, all of it, just, you know, stepping with the throw. Because in college, you're not allowed to come down on the climb. So in the speed climb, it's uh, 60 feet up and 60 feet down is the race fast as you can you've got a rope around the tree and gaffs on your feet you race up to the top your rope tags the the red line at the top and then you bail down well in college we always just raced up and you had a belay line hooked up to you and there was a guy taking the slack as you went up in case you slipped right um here it's all you <laughs> yeah exactly. i mean no belay line here um, and it was a lot different too, and it just shows you know, how naive I was back then, but I was competing and sometimes climbing with no rope. I just kind of like bear clawed it on the way up, and I remember going to a competition, and I met uh, one of the guys actually that was working here, Gino Cummings, and uh, I went to go climb, and I just put my hands around the tree. He goes, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I just, you know, I just barehanded it, and he just shook his head and let me go. I mean, of course, but it was now looking back on it and climbing correctly, you know, with the ropes and everything, it, it's just so funny how I've progressed, you know, yeah. through those years. And that wasn't even my first year doing the sport when I was climbing like that. <laughs> you came here. You're doing the Lumberjack show. Uh, what do you do in the winter season? Well, the first four years I was up here or just doing the Lumberjack shows, uh, we had a sister show down in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. It was called the uh, Smoky Mountain Lumberjack Feud. 
and um, I would go down to Tennessee in the winter, and I would do lumberjack shows there, and then in the summer, I would fly back here to Ketchikan, and I was always a year-to-year contracted employee, and I every time I would sign a new contract, I required that I came back to Ketchikan. Like I wanted to be up here in Alaska doing this show. I didn't dislike the Tennessee show. I just loved this show so much more. Um, so I was yeah full-time uh, lumberjack show employee. Did it um, most months out of the year. And Pigeon Forge it closed down from about January first uh, to Valentine's Day. Just a slow time. So we got a little bit of time off there. But uh, yeah, I was climbing, rolling, chopping, sawing pretty much probably about 300 days out of the year. And it, I loved it. Kept me in shape. Uh, got to do the traveling. You know, uh, the company helps take care of us on that, you know, flies us home in the off season or down to Tennessee, you know, always took care of the traveling back and forth, provides housing, which is great, you know, helps us out a lot on that one. And uh, not a lot of companies do that, you know, and that's one of the things that really makes it nice about the Lumberjack show. But then uh, about four years ago, they had a little bit of a falling out there at the Lumberjack feud, and uh, they closed that facility. And so I actually was fortunate enough to get the manager position, the performers, performance team uh, manager position, and uh, got me on full-time salary, and now I get to go home to Maryland. And I see my mom and dad and my brother, and I, uh, I help my dad doing windows and doors for Anderson. So it's nice because I'm also learning a trade because, I mean, I'm getting up there in age and there's only going to be a certain amount of time left that I could probably do shows this constantly. And um, How many do you do a day or a week? um, A day, personally, uh, the most I'll do is four. But the Lumberjack show actually does three to five shows a day. But just for safety purposes and everything, I mean, just because you get really physically exhausted out right. there. And um, we don't do any more than four a day for one person. And we've got uh, nine athletes up here, which makes it really nice to be able to switch the teams in and out. You know, uh, me being a salary guy, I've got to get to, you know, a certain amount of shows, which uh, I usually do about 16 to 18 shows per week. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've got to I've got to at least hit that 16 show mark and then the other guys can you know pick up whatever shows are left over. But, yeah, so it's, it's pretty taxing. I mean, I do get one day a week off, which is nice. Um, uh, my fiance, Kelsey, and I usually get Tuesdays off together. So, you know, we'll go and pretty much just chill on the couch and yeah. <laughs> you know, recuperate. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine doing 16 physical shows each week, your day off. You're probably like, OK. Yeah. <laughs> so. For those that the people that maybe don't know, because I, I see the Lumberjack show every year a couple times because okay, it, yeah, it's, it's awesome. still <laughs> exciting. And thank you. I'm still at the end because the log roll is the last event. Right. I'm like, okay, what's <laughs> who's yeah. going to win? You know, and I, I have my Lumberjacks that I root for and those that I root against, but <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get into that yeah. at some point. Um, but for the people that don't know, what are the events that you guys do every single day? Well, uh, we start off with the underhand chop, which is where you stand on a round block that's got footholds cut in it, and then you swing the axe in between your feet, uh, do a V-notch on the front side, and then you like spin around to the back, cut a V in the back side, and then it breaks into two pieces. 
Uh, we've also got two other chopping events, the standing block chop, um, which is a vertical chop. You stand next to the block, do the V-notch in the side, run around to the other side, and then sever it into two pieces. And then the third one is the springboard chop. Um, with the springboards, we've got some horizontal boards sticking out of a, I think it's about a seven, maybe eight foot tall tree. And you, um, you stand on these eight inch wide boards and you chop the block elevated off the ground, probably about, I'd say five and a half feet off the ground there. You chop a board, uh, block about three quarters of the way through, and then you have to finish it by swinging with your off hand. So you turn your whole body around, and then you actually switch hands. So I'm a right-handed uh, swing uh, axe swinger. So I would usually have my left hand on the bottom, and then my right hand would be the slide hand, kind of what pushes it and navigates it to the block. Well, when I go to the backside, I actually put my right hand on bottom so that I can get closer to the block, and then I hit the backside, severing it off. Then we've got two manual sawing events the cross cut saw which is two men with a six foot racing saw and we cut one cookie which is what we call that round disc of wood that gets severed off the end of it mm -hmm. uh that's called a cookie and then we also have the single buck which is just one man same six foot saw cutting a cookie off of there which that one's probably one of the roughest events to do just because it takes you pretty much your whole body. I mean, it's all legs, core, and arms. You're pushing and pulling that saw. It's a lot of torque. Yeah, as fast as you can. Yeah, and you gotta. I mean, you gotta keep it moving. If you change the angle too much, it'll get caught up in the in this uh, wood, and then it binds up. And then the, the, as soon as you do that, you're just exhausted. Um, we do a couple of chainsaw events. One's like a relay race where. Um, we have both guys that's on the team there. It's two sets of teams, the Spruce Mill Americans versus the Dawson Creek Canadians. And uh, the first guy will use a tool called a PV. They'll roll a log into a bunk log, and then they run across a pond uh, on what is known as a mill pond log. It's just a, pond, a log that goes from edge to edge of the pond. And then they tag their partner who's in chainsaw chaps and a helmet, he runs over to an inclined log, grabs a chainsaw off the log, runs to the very top and cuts a cookie off the end, runs back down that log, inserts the chainsaw in the end of the inclined log, comes over, tags their partner who uses a choker cable, which is like a braided metal cable. Um, it's got a, a bell and a knob on the end. And what you'll do is you'll take that choker, wrap it around the previous log that you bunked, hook the knob into the bell and the bell's got a perfect little like keyhole almost put it in there and you put it down and then you pull the, the log off and the first team to have that log hit the ground wins and then we also have the hot saw race which are the modified chainsaws those are the ones i wake up to every morning yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's one of the jokes that i tell when i'm announcing um is you know when they do the warm-up i'm like yeah our neighbors love us at eight in the morning <laughs> and that usually gets a pretty good laugh but yeah, you can hear those things everywhere yeah i my first two summers every once in a while i'd stay down on the boat in thomas basin right and so every morning i stayed there it was <laughs> 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 that was my, I didn't have to set an alarm. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine waking up. Well, unfortunately I have, but that's a story for later. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't imagine waking up to those multiple times. Yeah, and those, um, what we've done is taken like stock chainsaws 
and put a big bork in them. Uh, so they've got a larger piston, um, an aftermarket carburetor, and then there's an expansion chamber that we had fabricated and gets installed. And that um, all that lets us all breathe more. It kicks up the RPMs and it runs a lot faster and, of course, a lot louder. Yeah. Yeah. And those things rip. I mean, those are a lot of fun to, to use. Uh, but... The big difference is, you know, we don't use what they actually use in competitions. Their modified saws are like 250 dirt bike engines or snowmobile engines. They've modified them so that these things, I mean, and they'll cut like 50 inches of wood in three seconds. It's it's unreal. I mean, but it's also very dangerous. I mean, the chains aren't really made to go that fast for very long, at least. And unfortunately, a lot of the times the chains will break. And that's why you see in the, a lot of competitions, uh, they'll put like a plexiglass or like chicken wire in front of the competitors. So if, if the chain breaks, it won't go into the crowd. Yeah. And unfortunately, we've had a couple competitors that have uh, lost eyes. The chains came up and hit them in the face. And it's uh, so that one's a dangerous one, especially just those saws are run on alcohol. So those it's a little bit more finicky as well. Right. Um, then we have the speed climb at the lumberjack show, which is a fan favorite, you know, and I was just, uh, 50 feet up and 50 feet down as fast as you can. Those guys, uh, I always love watching it. And even when I'm climbing on the descent, you can hear the crowd gasping, you know, as you're coming down 20 feet at a time and trying to race and beat the guy down to the crash pad. And then, oh, the ax throw. Now that's my favorite one. I mean, it's a little biased. It's one of my better events. but uh, That's my favorite, too. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. when Ryan and I went and hung out with you there, that's right? the one thing I beat him at. Yeah, you did well <laughs> with the X, though. Yeah, your accuracy was there. Uh, and that one, we're about 20 feet away from the target. Um, it's a large wooden round that's got a two-inch bullseye in the center, and then each ring is two inches away from there. Uh, the bullseye is worth five points, and then the count goes down four, three, two, and one. Uh, you throw in a double-bitted axe. So what most people, I guess, would consider like maybe the medieval axe or like a Viking axe, you know, the two heads on it. Uh, trying to hit that bullseye, of course, which is the five-point, the best one you can throw. You get a four throws, one warm-up, and three that count. And uh, usually I don't throw under a 14. You know, I do throw some 14s, but the other day I just had an off day. I was, it was bad. I couldn't hit nothing but threes. I was like, what on earth is going on? Uh, but, yeah, you know, you got your good days and your bad days. And then one of the, uh, one of the favorite events by most people, and it depends on the weather, but is the, uh, the log roll. And, you know, that one, it comes down to the last log roll every show, um, see which team's going to win. And we're, we're trying. I mean, we're running on this log, kicking water into each other's faces, rocking the log back and forth. And uh, sometimes those water kicks, I mean, you get smacked right in the eyes. And, it, I mean, it, it burns a little bit, you know, not only just from the water, but just at how, the, how hard the, the splash comes at you. Yeah. And that'll just push you back a little bit. Um, but then it takes your breath away. You know, it's one of those things, just as soon as it hits you, it, you're trying to stop from gasping, and uh, that'll throw you right off. I mean, because you're trying to focus on running on this log, but then you can't breathe, so you kind of get in a little bit of a panic mode. And then, yeah, your feet just are the it's last thing you stress think about. Moment. Yeah. Because I, when I was doing it with Ryan, 
my problem was I wasn't constantly moving my feet. Right. Sometimes I would set my foot and immediately I'm in. Right. It just rolls my foot right in the water. Yeah. And you're constantly moving your feet. Water's hitting you. You're trying to keep it composed. And then, all you know, you're competing against someone else who's doing everything you are. Right. Trying to be better. It's yeah. And the, the fun part about the log roll is there's two different kinds of matches you can have. A running match and a bucking match. A running match is where the guy that you're rolling against is facing the same direction. Now, the, that one's the easier of the two. Uh, you do get moving the log a little bit faster. But with the bucking match, you know, your opponent's facing the opposite direction. It's very difficult to run backwards on a log. I mean, it's kind of hard to do it on land. But to do it on a log, uh, so you're always trying to fight to run forward. Well, if you're running forward, your opponent's backstepping. And if your opponent's running forward, you're backstepping. So you're fighting over control of that log a lot more. The log might not spin as fast, but it's a lot harder of a match to try to win because you're always trying to run the log instead of backstepping. And then, of course, you know, then you're fighting the, the log rocking. When your feet go underwater, you know, it's just a little bit harder to move them as fast. And a lot of people think, you know, when they first get on the log that, you know, you want to do long strides, you know, like a jogging almost. And that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, found that out. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, quick, choppy steps. That way you can control the log. Your feet are always in contact with it as much as possible. You can stop the log and change directions on it. And, uh, you know, if you start doing those long strides, pretty much your toes are just pushing the log faster and faster. And it's just near impossible to keep up with that. Um, but the hardest thing to learn, though, because when you first start, you, you just want to run, you know, and to actually get it in your head to do quick, choppy steps is is really, really difficult. And then, you know, you try to catch your balance and you don't think about it, but your arms have enough momentum to pull you one way or the other. But when you first start, the first thing you do is let your head lean forward or lean backwards. And then your whole center of gravity is off and you know, you're off into the water. That's all she wrote. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cold in there. And unfortunately, there is no filter system. So all that, you know, extra sawdust and stuff gets settled on the bottom. And <laughs> these, uh, these sunny days that we've had here have been really nice to do the shows in. But again, with no filter system, it got a little green halfway yeah, through the season. <laughs> so, Just yeah. like our water out in the ocean. Yeah, it's been boom. unreal. I've never seen it like that up here. It looks like almost a tropical paradise down there. Yeah, it's been nice. I've been out in the water a few times this year. You know, I mean, uh, whenever the wind's not too bad, try to go out uh, skiing. And we've got the lumberjacks have a boat that the uh, company lets us use, and we've got some skis and go out there skiing through the the channels right by the cruise ships, have people waving at us and stuff. It's pretty fun. Yeah. So you guys are doing these, you know, physical shows every day. You're all in great shape, your lumberjacks, you've got the look, you know, that, that rugged persona and seasonal girls come up on this Island and the rest of us just understand that, you know, we get second pick. <laughs> that's just how it is. I mean, I don't and know so about that's, that. that's what I was going to say is, you know, last year, my girlfriend would always tell me, you know, Oh, well the redheaded one's my favorite. Oh, and really? so I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> So, and she wasn't shy about it. Right. <laughs> and sometimes I'd get off work and I'd be like, how many times are you going to watch the Lumberjack show in a summer? Right. Like, come on, yeah. you know? 
And so that's why I'll occasionally root for Boone yeah. or root against Boone, you know, a little more than the other. Lumberjacks. I, I, could, I could understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But being the, being, you know, the, the main guy over there, um, you got, you have the Jack Shack, the place where you all, you all right. live. Tell me how that goes. You know, uh, you being in charge of this, watching every summer, what goes down because like, I really get along with Boone now and you obviously, and I really enjoyed Cole and Max yep. this summer. They've been great to see around the bar. And so, yeah, give me, give me a little inside perspective on that situation. Yeah, the, the Jack Shack, as we lovingly call it, it, um, it's kind of like the, the lumberjack frat house, you know, it's, it's definitely changed since my first year, uh, immensely. Uh, but, uh, it's still, you know, where all the athletes, uh, live together. Uh, I've been fortunate enough not to have to live there anymore, <laughs> but, uh, that's, you know, definitely was one thing I did when I was first manager and that was pretty tough to live with the people that you're trying to manage and everything. But, um, yeah, it's a frat house. You know, the guys at the end of the day are always hanging out up there. Um, Usually watching TV, playing video games, drinking a few beers. Uh, this year with the nice weather, they've been uh, chilling on the porch a lot. You know, I've been hearing the uh, the phrase "top porch chilling." You know, <laughs> nice. they go up and hang out. They've got a couple hammocks up there. Um, you know, keyboard and a guitar, and a bunch of them just sit up there and hang out and really relax and have a good time. Um, had quite a few good parties up there as well. You know, uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> You know, I've, uh, my favorite one is we had a, uh, a highlighter party, you know, glow light party. And this was, I'm going to say about five years ago. And that's when I was living there and we ended up at, by the end of the night, we had a, uh, highlighter slip and slide going from our front porch into our kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it went from mild to wild real quick and, um, <laughs> it, it was a really good time. Everybody at the end of the night was just covered in highlighter water. I mean, I've got a few pictures from it back in the day and it's just, we look like zombies. You know, it was, it was really cool. Um, we've had, uh, ABC parties, you know, um, anything but clothes, anything but a cup, you know, you can drink out of, you know, water pitchers, uh, flower water and things. A couple guys were drinking out of, uh, ice cube trays. Um, we had a luau party one year. That was a lot of fun. We had a back room used to be called the sawdust saloon and it actually had swinging saloon doors in it. Uh, we put plastic down all over the ground. And then we, of course, we were fortunate enough to have a good supply of sawdust. So we went and just bagged up a bunch of it and threw it on the ground on top of the plastic to act as the sand. And then we put some red lights in the, the ceiling fan and we had like a little tropical paradise back there. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Had our card table set up as a bar, you know, had all kinds of mojitos and margaritas and everything made up there. And uh, card nights. We, uh, my first year, we had a group of us that would hang out. It was uh, the retail, a couple of the retail girls, and uh, a bunch of other friends from around Ketchikan, and we would have what was called Tuesday night quarters. Every Tuesday night, people would come over, and we'd start by playing quarters, just a speed quarters game. Have everybody around the island. You know, I would start with a shot glass and a quarter. Whoever was across the bar from me would have a shot glass and a quarter. If you bounced it on the first bounce, you could pass it to anybody at the table. If you had to, after that, then it was just passed to the left. And if that shot glass caught up to you and they stacked it, you had to take a drink. 
and it would get pretty wild. We'd be getting that shot glasses thrown back and forth, and then we would start playing cards and then beer pong, and then we had uh, made up drinking Jenga. You know, okay, what is that? <laughs> so you just go and you uh, get regular Jenga and you draw or write rules on the blocks uh, anywhere from how many seconds or how many drinks somebody has to drink out of their drink or like a make a rule block, uh, remove one article of clothing block, uh, a beer bitch block, just anything, any rule that you can think of. Uh, and of course, you know, you're still pulling blocks and stacking them and whoever knocks over the whole stack has to finish their drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's always some kind of competition, you know, even outside of the Lumberjack show, we have an axe throwing competition again between the whole performance team and we call it the the holder of the sauce. It's just something random that this one of our new guys, Jake Lynn, he kind of made up the sauce thing and he actually made a little trophy it's out of like a slab of wood. It's got bark on the back. It's got two Copenhagen tins on it, some uh, axes drawn on it, and says the sauce. And every time somebody wins, you get to write your initials on it, letting the people know that you had it. And the rules are you can challenge once a day, and then if you win, the person you won it from can't challenge you for a day, but anybody else can. Yeah. And so it, it gets passed around quite a bit. You know, uh, myself and Boone are pretty much the holders of it a lot. Bryce gets lucky every once in a while. <laughs> Cole this year, though, man, he's been doing really well with his axe throwing. Last year wasn't his strong suit. <laughs> yeah. But he's really, I mean, honestly, he, him as just an athlete all around has really come around. and He's, he's a rising star. He is, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and the nice part about Cole is he – listens to the to what we're trying to teach him you know he takes into consideration what myself or boone or bryce says and the nice part about this year is pretty much all the guys have done that mm. you know i mean getting them from where they were to where they are now i mean this has been a really really good group this summer i've been lucky as a manager to to have this crew because i've also not had to deal with a lot of bull crap either yeah. you know i mean in the past there's been some lumberjacks that are a little harder to deal with but this one has been really good, and fortunately, hopefully, we'll get everybody back. I've got the majority of them coming back, and I'm excited for next year for sure. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I, I really like the group this year, too. Yeah. So have you, before you came up here to work, had you ever been to Alaska? No, no, I had not. Um, I honestly didn't think I ever would be. Yeah, I mean, I'm from a very small town in Maryland. It's called Trap, Maryland. And even a lot of people that come to the show from Maryland are like, where, where is Trap? Like, we, don't, we don't know. And um, I went to Easton High School, which is about 15 minutes away from my house. And that's right on Route 50, which is the major highway to get to Ocean City, Maryland, which is a pretty popular vacation destination for a lot of people. And um, I, Flatlander, just the definition of a Flatlander, you know, it's soybean fields, cornfields, woods, and water. It's really all that there is there. And... I just, I don't know, I wanted to see more and get away, but I thought Maine being 10 hours away was a good distance. You know, it was a day drive, you know, but it's not one of those things that you can always just surprise people with. You know, kind of have to plan mm -hmm. it out. Need a place to crash or something. And, and still, even then, you know, I was going to school to learn how to grow fish. Um, I would go back to Maryland and work at an oyster hatchery that I absolutely loved. It was one of the best jobs I had uh, there. 
So I kind of in my mind was thinking, all right, I'm kind of set here. I'll come back to Maryland and work at this oyster hatchery and see where I go from there. And I just had the opportunity to come up to Alaska and I, I couldn't pass it up. You know, I mean, right. they, they were going to pay me to go to Alaska and swing axes for a living. Yeah, <laughs> I'm there, man. Yeah, like, yeah, sign me up. And so, uh, yeah, I accepted the job and it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. I, uh, it's, I mean, it's a bit away from home, but I'm fortunate enough now that I get to go home in the wintertime. You know, I'm not up here year round. Uh, and I get to experience some of the amazing culture and outdoor experiences that some people will never be able to. And I think that's what makes me want to always come back to catch a can is because every year it's the same location, but it's not the same place. You know, every summer is different, whether it's the people that I'm hanging out with, the people I'm meeting, the weather. Because, I mean, in the past eight years I've been up here, I've had some drowned rat summers and yep. I've had summers like this that have just been phenomenal. I mean, telling all the new guys about, you know, make sure you bring rain gear. It rains just 17 feet per year and this and that. And they're like, you're, you're full of it. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, all right. Well, we got them all signed up for next year. So I, I think they're going to have an awakening yep. coming. But. It's uh, it's always changing, uh, but the the community is really nice. Um, the community is always seems to be there for one another. You know, whether we are seasonal or year round, people that live here. You know, I'm fortunate enough to make friends on both aspects of that spectrum. You know, uh, one of the first people that I befriended and she is taking care of me in the hospital and in and outside of work was Shauna Lee. And, I mean, she's one of my dearest friends up here. And you know, she, like I said, she was the only person. I, I hit my foot with an axe one year. And uh, I had to go to the hospital, of course. I had seven staples, seven stitches, cut two tendons. They, yeah, those axes are pretty sharp. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so I was, I was sitting in the hospital. And some of the lumberjacks came and, and checked on me to make sure I was okay and everything. But none of them could stay to watch me, like, get stitched up. or None of them could handle it. And Shauna stayed there in the in the room with me the whole time and, you know, took care of me before and after and everything. And she's a saint. Uh, she makes dinner for the lumberjacks, you know, every year so often. It always invites us up to her house and stuff. And, you know, she's here year-round and a, a huge pillar in the community. And then, you know, I've got great friends that I've met seasonally, like yourself and Ryan and, you know, so many other guys that out, just outside of the lumberjack show, too. You right. know, I mean, I've met hundreds of phenomenal guys in the sport and through the lumberjack show. But, you know, all my friends that are outside of that is just, I mean, a huge community of people that is always there has always been there for me. And I know that if they ever needed anything, you know, I would definitely be there for them. And that's one of the things that I love about Ketchikan. I mean, I think it's partially because we're all stuck on an Island. You know what I mean? But it helps. Yeah. I think for the most part, just the, the, type of people that are here on this island and that come up here to experience the Ketchikan life are a breed of their own. And we all kind of can connect and really live well here on the island together. So what? Um, that was a great distinction you made that I actually had never heard before. You said the location is the same, but the place is different. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's something you've done in the outdoors here that was like all-time highlight? 
Uh, I mean, I've been fortunate enough uh, to do a lot of camping around here, which I absolutely love. Uh, they've got the Forest Service cabins all over um, and Blank Island, which for is a quick boat ride right out of uh, Mountain Point. You know, I've done some camping out there and everything, but definitely the highlight of my outdoor experience here um, was my second year. I was uh, fortunate enough to go on a goat hunt with my boss. <clears throat> And the the funny part about it is I was actually working that day and my boss was trying to get a hold of another guy and he didn't have his phone on him. So he comes up to me at work. And he's like, you want to go on a goat hunt? I looked at my manager at the time. I was like, can I go? He's like, yeah, sure. It's <laughs> like, hell yeah. Yeah. Like, so my boss told me everything that I needed to pack for the trip and, uh, we, uh, we went down to Carlin air docks where, um, Ryan McHugh uh, with RDM, he was uh, flying us to the back side of Ketchikan. And I've told this story a few times, and I don't know if him and my boss and Ryan were like talking in code so I wouldn't know where we were going or something, but they kept calling the place that we landed Aqua Lake. And every time I tell a story, people were like, ah, I'm not sure where that one is. So I'm like, I'm starting to wonder because they both, I mean, when he, one said it, the other one was like, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. And I wasn't sure if this was like a code that the two of them had so other people couldn't find it or what. But we uh, we left the docks Friday night at 7 p.m. And we flew to Aqua Lake and we landed and uh, my boss and I made camp there. Ryan uh, you know, gave us a sat phone and everything that we needed for emergencies or if we just needed to be picked up. And we were planning on being there the whole weekend, you know, getting picked up Sunday evening to get back on Monday so I could get back into shows. And, um, you know, the law, is, uh, the law is if you're flying in, you have to wait a certain amount of time before you're actually allowed to go hunting, you know, because the planes disrupt the animals and, you know, you can kind of track them and, you know, get landed at a good spot where it hurts. It's just not fair for the animals, yeah. you know. So uh, we, we built... Uh, Made camp, you know, set up the tent, started making a fire. He had one of the jet fuel camping kits, you know, and we just had uh, boiled some water, had some of the dehydrated bag food, and I had spaghetti and meatballs. It was actually pretty good. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not going to complain. And we sat down, and, and we're talking. And, I mean, him and I talked for hours just uh, by the campfire. It was such a great night that I didn't even sleep in the tent. I just slept outside in my sleeping bag. And him and I cracked open and started a bottle of Gentleman's Jack. And we drank all but maybe an eighth of it, just him and I passing it back and forth, talking about everything. I mean, uh, it was it was an amazing experience. Uh, we woke up around 5-ish in the morning, maybe 6 o'clock. Had it been 5 because it was just a little bit before sunrise. And... Uh, we started hiking, and we got to the snow fields right as the sun was cresting the, the mountains. And the sunrise off the snow fields was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the blues and the purples off the, the snow was just phenomenal. And we, were, we kept hiking. Uh, we're glassing these goats as we went up and trying to figure out the best direction to go to find them and get the billies. Saw one goat, and we tried to sneak around to to flank him, and that he must have smelt us or heard us or something because he took off. And so we stopped, and uh, we had lunch, you know, filled our canteens. He had one of those uh, water pumps that has got a filter in it, you know, so you can take just pool water that's up on the mountain and have it filtered and be safe to drink. And 
he went up ahead of me to to glass some more as I'm filling up both of our canteens. And, <laughs> um, he was looking up real high up on the peaks. I mean, we had probably been about 3,000 feet of elevation at this point, and that's about from like five in the morning to about I'd say around 11 in the morning. You know, we're hiking and got to that height and. He's still looking and glassing like really high on the peaks of these mountains. And I'm looking at the different pathways thinking this is going to be a hell of a day. Like this is going to suck. I mean, we had our, our corked extra tufts and our um, pickaxes, you know, so we could use for footing and everything. And we were getting ready to go up this one path that was not awful, but was pretty steep and was co- snow covered really well. And just as we're about to start going down this little gully, I look down and there's this goat just sitting down there, like looking up at us, not a care in the world. And I'm like, Rob, there's that goat. And he's like, where? He's still like looking up, like past it. Like, it's right there. Like, it's right fucking there, man. Like, come on. Like, it's, and he couldn't see it, couldn't see it. Finally, this goat starts to stand up. And I'm like, Rob, it's moving. Like, it's getting up. You've got to shoot this goat. And it, the goat stretches its back legs, stretches its front legs, stops, and just looks at us. And finally, now that it's stood up, like Rob can see it, gets down in the prone position and gets, I'm assuming, gets the bead on it. But he stops and looks at me and goes, should I take the shot? I mean, do you have the shot? <laughs> like, why are you asking me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you've got a clean shot and you know you're going to get him, like, take this guy. And he did. It was one shot. Had a perfect clean shot. The the goat didn't move, you know, um, stayed right there. We didn't have to track it. The goat didn't feel it. Just dropped. And that was probably around 1130 when we got up to the goat and we cleaned it. Um and started hiking down, we uh, called Ryan on the sat phone and let him know that we had gotten our goat already and we were heading back to base camp. Uh, Well, by the time we were done cleaning it, it was probably about 2 o'clock in the evening, and we started hiking down back to base camp, got down there around 5.30-ish, and we just laid out and passed out in the tent. I mean, just to go hike up and back that fast and... Um, we just, yeah, we passed out real quick until we heard the float plane coming up and started tearing down the, the tent and we finished that Jack Daniels as a celebration, nice. you know, like, you know, we got one, we had a great hunt, everything was good, jumped in the float plane and we actually made it back into Ketchikan 7 PM on Saturday. So, I mean, like it wasn't planned this way. It's very rare that you can get that quick of a hunt you know but I mean, we had it planned for the whole weekend you know had all the food and everything ready to do it that way but it was the fastest hunt that rob knew about as far as a goat hunt's concerned and we uh, we got back in that year uh, saturday nights were the steak night at annabelle's you know so he went and took me there and we got the the i mean the largest steak that you could get with a oh, bucket yeah. of crab legs all the fixings and him and i ate every bit of it but one crab leg <laughs> it, like, we neither one of us could do it but we i mean we had just you know expelled so much energy and burnt so many calories and it's just it was great and uh he was i was the pack mule for it and he was real good about you know giving me some meat and uh, i had never had goat before and it was it was pretty good you know, I mixed a lot of it with uh, pork and just made it into burger. You know, it's pretty tough uh, for steaks just because of the elevation they're at. And they're always like on the cliffs and edges of rocks. Like their their muscles are really really tight. 
So yeah, ground up most of it. And Rob actually got the uh, goat mounted and he's got a cabin in Hayward, Wisconsin that I've been to quite often and the goat sitting in there. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty cool to just see him there. And just, I think about the story every time I go there. It's, I mean, it's one of my favorite stories to tell and uh, it definitely the most amazing experience being outdoors here in Ketchikan. I mean, to be so far out of civilization, you know what I mean? Cause once, Ryan left and dropped us off. There were no more float planes flying over there, you know, no cars, no cell phone service, nothing. It was silence except for Rob and I out in the wilderness. Yeah. And that was really, really cool to be able to experience that. But, you know, I do love just being outdoors in general. I mean, as much as we can, we try to go out to the beaches, you know, and this summer has been really good for chilling out on the beaches, whether it's, you know, buggies or refuge or South Point going all the way out to settlers. You know, it's just a lot of the times, I mean, that's, that's where I met my fiance was at a beach fire. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a great spot to meet new people all the time. It's a great place to, just hang out with your with your buddies and just relax. Refuge is one of my favorites just because of the the sunsets and the views, you know, just all the the smaller islands around and everything, and just the the sunsets you can get and the silhouettes of the mountains right there when the when it's setting down. That's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorites. I love looking at those islands on Refuge yeah. when you know it's that golden hour and the light is hitting everything right. It's yeah. Like, oh my God, it's amazing up here. Yeah, it's been like my backdrop on my phone for years. Like it's just it. I mean, it's inspiring. It just makes you not want to go inside ever. Yeah. So you. It sounds like it was super a super easy decision for you to come up here and yeah. get into this lifestyle. Um, you went you came, went from Maryland to Maine, and then they're like, "Hey, this is what you could do," and you're like, "All right, let's do it." So you come up here, you find this awesome job, this lifestyle you're into. You meet your fiance. Now you've got all these incredible Alaska stories. You're bouncing back and forth season to season, but there are a lot of people out there that this is a hard decision for them. And, you know, they're working a job that maybe they don't like. They're in a living situation that they don't like. And they, they've heard about the seasonal lifestyle, but they're not sure about it yet. From all your experiences now and your life, what, uh, what can you tell them about either making the leap or um, – looking at this lifestyle as opposed to theirs and, you know, the kind of things that they need to think about when they're making that decision. I think the biggest thing is that if you're looking for change or if you're, if you're not really happy with where you want to be, I mean, you kind of got to take the step, you know, uh, other people won't change things for you. Uh, you definitely have to be the person to make that decision that, you know, it's time you know, I'm done with, whatever the situation is, you know, whether it's a bad job or a bad living situation, I mean, just go and experience it. Um, even just the seasonal thing. I mean, it's what, seven months up here, you know, seven months out of one's lifetime is a drop in the bucket. You know I mean? You can have, you know, the most phenomenal experiences of your life in seven months and a new location, a new job, just with the people you meet and, find out it's what you want to do and continue with it for years and years, or you can come for seven months, maybe have an unfortunate bad experience, but that's seven months that, yeah, you won't get back. But in the long run of it, 
will just be an experience that you've bettered yourself in. Uh, I mean, because to give you an example, one of the worst jobs I had was an internship, and I was in Kentucky, and it was the whole summer long, and it sucked. <laughs> I was selling fish off the back of a flatbed truck. Um, the boss was a skis bag. You know, I'm pretty sure the whole operation was under the table. Like, he, uh, we, he paid us in cash. You know, and everything, when we were getting paid by the customers with either personal check or cash, you know, even the companies that we were dealing with, personal check or cash, like everything was under the table. Um, he wasn't a good guy. The guy I was working with, unfortunately, was addicted to pills. You know, I mean, I'd be driving and he'd be crushing up pills and taking them right on the job and everything. And I couldn't handle that, so I left. You know, I mean, I, you've got to do what's best for you as far as that's concerned. But to be able to experience something like this, when I first did it, it was an easy decision for me because I was fresh out of college. I was single. I was young. You know, I mean, I had the time and the want and the drive to explore and to experience. Um, and I think that's in everybody at some point. You know, they've got to just know that what they're doing now isn't what they want to do for the rest of their lives and that there are thousands and thousands of opportunities all over the nation, all over the world that you can do seasonal work for and bounce back to forth to different regions of the U.S., different regions of the country, different regions of the world, and be able to have just the most phenomenal experiences, meet the most amazing people, and you know find a lifestyle that works for you. It's not always in an island in the Northwest, you know, I mean, you can go down to Florida, you know, when it's kicking it in the, the winter time and people are going for vacations and everything down there. Seasonal is huge then, you know, I mean, a lot of people that work here in the summer go down there in the winter, especially like the float plane pilots and stuff like that. And that's the best thing about seasonal work too, is you can kind of be, you know, a, a weather freak, I guess, for lack of better words. I mean, it rains a lot here, yes, but if you don't like that, then you go to another place for a seasonal job that is nicer, you know? And then if you're a snow bunny, you can go to, like, Colorado and be a ski instructor and then do that all winter long, hang out on the slopes there, and then, you know, go come up to Ketchikan and be a zipline tour guide or, you know, help with the go-karts or duck tours or, you know, sell on the docks. I mean, there's so many different options. You don't have to be a waitress or a bartender you know it's a great trade to have my fiance does it you know and she does phenomenal with it she gets up here she sells tickets for the lumberjack show and that's a cool thing too is you don't have to have the same job everywhere if you're doing seasonal work you can try out different aspects of it you know this year she was working shorex which is you know like the herding cats <laughs> all the tourists come off the the uh the ship and they're looking to find out where their their tours are you know whether it be the zip line the go-karts the snorkeling the lumberjack show whatever and they just are in a panic and her job is to find the people that are in coming to the lumberjack show and get them onto a bus or try to explain to them that yes unfortunately you have to walk a block and a half to <laughs> get to your lumberjack show but um you know and then like i said and then she goes down to maryland and she's a server bartender at a local bar 
and she does great. The people love her. We actually, it was random as heck, but two days ago, I think, one of the patrons, uh, the bar is called Portside in Cambridge, Maryland. He actually was, I talked to him at the bar, and him and his wife came up and were on one of the cruises and came and saw the Lumberjack show a couple of days ago. Came up and asked how Kelsey was doing and, you know, asked and made sure that the wedding was still on and everything. Right. And I was like, well, I don't know why you think it wouldn't be, but yeah, yeah it's <laughs> still happening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's the other thing. Just, I mean, the people that you meet doing seasonal work is phenomenal. I mean, whether it is, you know, great friends that you're making or just the tourists that are coming in. I mean, because everybody's got stories. You know, everybody's got something that you can relate to. Um you know, that thing, uh, what is it, eight degrees of separation, I think is one of the most realest things in the world. Where I mean, you can ask me eight questions, and one of those questions will lead to something that I can relate to. And then we can just start a conversation and keep it going. And, you know, only eight. And then there's one of those questions is going to trigger something, whether it's a place of food that we've both had or something, you know, a restaurant that we've eaten at. Mutual friend. Sometimes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm finding crazy. that a lot now. Really? It's, you too. So this is my sixth year doing the seasonal life. And I've gotten to the point where I'm meeting a new person somewhere else. And we both know someone in another country that we, and it's, it's crazy how, you know, once you go around and around and around, at some point it starts stacking right. and you start meeting the same the people that have met the same people and it, yeah, it gets really wild. Some of the conversations you have and it's that, you know, that degrees of separation that yeah. gets so close. Absolutely. I mean, I've had people that come to the shows who've gone to high school with my older cousins, you know, a, a lady just a couple of days ago, uh, came in and she showed me a picture of her daughter who was, I mean, I would assume like three years old at the time getting the hair chair that we do in the show. Oh, yeah. And then pointing her out now, she's like, you know, 15, 16 years old. And it's just crazy <clears throat> that they've, you know, they've come back and to see, you know, them then and now and how people fortunately coming back to the island and checking out the Lumberjack show again and everything, which is awesome. Yeah, the the returning people that are like, oh, I loved it so much, and seeing them come back and remembering them, right, is is really cool. And it's like you said, when you'll meet these tourists for you know maybe a couple hours, maybe not even that, and everybody's mostly got a really cool story, right, and you can connect to them even for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure, you know, you, you doing the bartending, I don't know if you deal with the tourists as much in, during the day, but oh, yeah. just them coming in and just shooting the shit with you at the bar, I mean, I'm sure you've heard all kinds of stories as <laughs> well, for there's sure. Some, why, there's some really good ones, you know, you know, we saved up, we always wanted to come here, we came, like, we've had a fantastic time, every stop's beautiful weather, awesome people, and then the just as memorable are the ones like I had this guy come in one day pretty early on and he's I was like oh hey how's it going he's like ah oh, you know I'm on this cruise with my wife and we're not getting along so I'm buying a ticket home I was like really he's like yeah you know she's gonna have more fun without me and I'm ready to go home so it's wow. fine I was like okay and he, he's like yeah I'm looking at flights now and he leaves for maybe two hours and I'm thinking I'm like on one hand, that's totally crazy. Right. But on the second, the way that he worded it, it was it was coming from a guy who they've been married for so long that they can be that honest with each other. Like, you're going to have more fun without me. Right. 
Money doesn't matter to either of us anymore. Right. I'm just going to go home. <laughs> I'll see you in four days. Right. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I, initially I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Like, this is the craziest thing I've heard. And then as he kept talking, I was like, he's, com- he's sane. He's completely sane. And he just understands, like, yeah. It's better off. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's still going to be, you know, married when he, they get home, still right. going to be happy. It's just, ah, this didn't work. <laughs> and Try another cruise later. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and even the whole idea of that story, me going from, oh, this is insane to, oh, no, this is normal. This is fine, is like an experience that, you know, is it's just wild. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen down yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, we do the, this, the same kind of thing, like one on the spectrum. We'll have people come up after the show and... They'd be like, you know, I've seen the sport a lot. You know, I've never seen it live. Like, this was great. It was so much fun. Like, so much better in person. And then other people that come up and they're like, oh, yeah, I I split wood for my fireplace. I know exactly what you guys are doing. (laughs) And I'm like, man, that's just not even close to what we're doing here. Like, I appreciate you swinging a a maul or, you know, even a split axe and to provide heat for you and your family. That's great. But... Compared to speed climbing or anything, I do love it though. How many people can come in and will tell us that like their their grandfather or their dads used to work in sawmills or you know were tree climbers or sawyers out in the woods in Washington or Oregon or wherever they might be from? Because I think a lot of those people can relate to it a lot more and really enjoy the history part of it. Right, because maybe they've heard stories but they've never seen. Mm-hmm the actual thing happened. Exactly. And so you can show them kind of what their ancestors did. Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, and it's really cool, you know, when people come up and they tell us, you know, like, yeah, their their dad used to work on a sawmill and, you know, they used to go in and have, play around there and see it all. But to, you know, see the sport now and everything is really nice. And they, I think, they appreciate it just a a little bit more than some others, you know, that are just looking at it in the sports aspect of it. You know, um, it's part of their history. It's part of their family heritage. Like, you know, they, they enjoy it a a little bit more, I think. Yeah. Well, Ray, this has been awesome. I love that I get to cherish the same Island that you do and you're, you're so into it, and it's awesome to hear. <laughs> I love seeing you around town. Yeah. I'm so glad I got to talk to you today. No, thanks for having me come on here. I really appreciate it. You guys, absolutely, I love the seasonal. What you guys do with the magazine and now this podcast is is awesome, and I'm, I'm definitely a fan of it and tell everybody, even new people that come up, that they need to check it out. Great. I love hearing it, and that's, that's what we need. We yeah. need more people <laughs> you know, getting out of those situations that they don't like being in yeah and hopefully we can give them you know the courage or whatever whatever they need to get out of there absolutely so, yeah thanks man. for helping us so not much a problem that. anytime yeah. that's it that's the episode the seasonals are kelly mogg ryan deininger me joey ravinsky the theme song by ryan deininger joe williams lewis leva chappy thomas hamilton Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.